EcoHealth, your internet radio. Good afternoon and welcome here on Radio EcoHealth. It's the Road Trip Show here with Diedrich with the Road Trip app. Diedrich, you have some good news or a piece of good news. A piece of good news. Afternoon, afternoon, dear afternoon, all the listeners. Yeah, a little piece of good news. It looks like a bit of sanity is prevailing in Europe. Britain has reversed the travel ban and flights and things are opened again. So that is at least a little bit of sanity that's coming through after the complete panic and mayhem yeah. from our little. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to call it our virus because we we just we just discovered it. It wasn't we didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just well, see if um, you can get your mic a little closer. Um, to um, the Omicron, the Omicron ah, variant. Yeah, and, uh, now we just need we need another couple of countries to reverse their travel bans and stuff again. So hopefully not too many people have cancelled their holidays and they're still going to come. Flights are being rebooked and stuff. So yeah. little little light at the end of the tunnel here. Yes, yes. Let's hope that the US uh, also follows. The USA suit. needs to open Britain. Britain flight, like I said, I think I think it actually got reversed as of this morning. Yeah. So I think now it's down to having it. You got when you land, you got to have a positive a, a test done or something, but. It yes. looks like they're doing away with the whole quarantine thing, and, and, and they're starting to realize that it doesn't work. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> okay, so where are we heading Well, last, last week we were traveling the N2. That's that massive, the longest named or longest numbered road that we got in South Africa that goes all the way from, uh, leaves leaves out of Cape Town, heads all the way along the coast, and disappears up through KZN into... The depths of uh, Mpumalanga. Yes, yes. And we'd gone through sort of the the areas through all the corn, the, through the, the 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 wheat fields and the canola fields, and we'd wound up going through Mossel Bay, and we'd gone through um, and got up to the Grut, the Great Brak River, Grut Brak River. Yeah, that's and the, the one. Then that's where I think we ended last time. So mm. the next the next major spot on that end too is the little town of George. And I call it the little town, but it's the second biggest town in the Western Cape, just after Cape Town. Okay. So it's actually a major, it's a major center. And most people regard that sort of as the, the one point or one of the borders of what's called the garden route. Mossel Bay yeah. sometimes gets a bit tense and wants to be included in the garden route, but uh, <laughs> they, like, they, like the, they, like, they like the sad orphan. <laughs> they, they're knocking on the door, but they're not allowed in. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> in spite, look, Mossel Bay is a fantastic spot. I mean, there's a lot of see and do in Mossel Bay, and I've always enjoyed Mossel Bay. But George, George is sort of considered the one start of the of the garden route, and the other, the other, the other border of it sort of it t- tends to be sort of. Um, Around around Port Elizabeth, yeah, and that that's what you call the Garden Route. So, George, the beautiful beautiful town lies in the just at the foot of the Otaniqua Mountains, and the Otaniqua Mountains. The, the word Otaniqua actually comes from the Khoisan or the Kuku word for, and it roughly translated, it comes into those who bear honey or the honey people. Okay, and it's got to be a reference to trade and the. The, the koi or the koi-san or the sun or the, you know, yeah. actually getting, getting wild honey out of the crevices and out of the cliffs. Because yes. here in the middle of the Fainbos, and, and the Fainbos makes the most beautiful honey. The most expensive honey we've got in South Africa is Fainbos honey. Oh, and okay. And it, it does have a very, very special taste. Yes. So, obviously, the wild bees, they, they, they manage to find some technique there of getting the honey out of the mountains and out of the cliffs. 
Yeah. But there's not a hell of a lot known about about those cultures. They, when with the arrival of the first Europeans, they, those guys tended to hide away a little bit and stay away from them. They regarded and Europeans almost as like kind of bad spirits. Yes. So I think we leave. We can leave that there. <laughs> and uh, George was 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 actually founded because of the demand for timber. The the settlements in the Cape at that stage they'd gone through Cape Town, Stellenbosch. They'd already got through to Swellendam, um, Graf Renet, and now the demand for timber was so great that they had to reach out honestly as far as the as the Tsitsikama forests and the George George Neisner forests. Oh yes, yes. So we're now talking already. 1776, the Dutch East India Company had already established a, a little outpost in what now eventually became George. Yes. And that little spot is apparently just at the one end of a, a street called um, York Street. So that that little post, the little called a timber post, that even had a poshower, the manager. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, that that was 1776. A couple of families had settled there. You're talking five, six, seven families, a couple of oxen. 1795, Britain takes over the Cape. The, the, the VOC had gone bankrupt. They appointed a proper caretaker of the area. And in 1806, it's decided that Swellendam is no longer capable of running such a huge municipality and such a huge area that they then um, <laughs> decide that George now yeah. is actually going to become its own self-standing little municipality and administrative area. So it's actually okay. one of the very, very first British towns yeah. established yeah. in South Africa post the VOC era. Okay. So when you go into George, it's definitely a different feel to it. You, if you drive through places like Swellendam or Grafrenet, you get that old Dutch feeling. George has got a whole different type of architecture yeah. because now you're talking British. Yes. So 1811, they, they suddenly de they declare it a district. A guy by the name of Adrian van Kerfel is appointed as the first Landrost. And George got its name as sort of a bit of a, a double whammy. The Earl of Caledon at that stage was the governor of the Cape. Oh, yeah. And St. George's Day, 23rd of April, 1811. So okay. it's St. George's Day, as well as the, the King of England at that stage was George. So I don't think they really could escape naming the town George. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> St. George's Day, King George. I don't yeah, think, I don't yeah. think uh, uh, the, the, Earl, the Earl of Gallatin had much option but to call the place George. Yeah, yeah. And George has got his own... Not very, very nice little attractions. It's a very pleasant little town. It's wide open streets. In fact, the main the main street is still wide enough so that you can turn an ox wagon in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's not these little cramped little streets and stuff. Yes. And George always strikes you as like a really nice, open, airy, very, very, very friendly, friendly kind of town. Yeah. But right from the word go, it's always been based on wood and woodcutters, timber, Yes. So the Sarsfeld College is based in George. That's where you can get a degree in forestry, one of the few places in the world where you can actually get a forestry degree. Okay. And when you drive in George, it's all timber, timber merchants, lots of wood. And, I mean, it's there's plantations everywhere. There's obviously the beautiful yeah. um, natural forests and things there. And, of course, 
in South African folklore, you've always got what are called, you know, the knives and the woodcutters, Dalian Matias books. Yes, about yes. about circles in the forest, Kringer and a boss. Yeah, all about those knives and the woodcutters. So that area, you found an awful lot of what they called bayburners and things that were suddenly without work at one point, and they went into the forests trying to now make a living and trying to find some way of earning income. So they actually became woodcutters. And there's a a couple of these little <coughs> towns, Karataras one, a place called Bergplas. And a lot of it was also post-Anglo-Boer War in the Transvaal, not much work. Oh, so yes. these migrants would would be streaming into the Cape Colony looking for work. I mean, their farms had been burnt, the cattle yeah. were gone, the economies of the Free State and the Transvaal had been destroyed. And these guys came in and they were considered dangerous. They got fed off and got put into the forest to act as woodcutters. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Damn. And one, one quite interesting story in the, late, the later parts of 1800, in fact, 1879, there was a plan to actually start a silk industry. A silk industry. A silk industry. And, yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a, a weird one in that some Italians were brought in to come and start up a silk industry in George. Okay. And they made a bit of a mess of it because someone along the line had identified something in South Africa that looked like a mulberry tree. Oh, yeah. And they immediately assumed that these silkworms were able to feed on this mulberry tree, but it's not even close to a mulberry tree. Okay. (laughs) And, of course, nothing came of the silk industry. Yeah. So a lot of these Italians then drifted off and also became part of this woodcutter, this little wood, woodcutter's fraternity. <laughs> so, you know, so, so that, that area, the woodcutters, George Neisner area, seemed to become quite a melting pot for all sorts of different people that, that yeah. were coming in there. So you've got in, in George itself, if you go to the botanical gardens... It's got the. It's called the Garden Root Botanical Garden in George. Yes. Really, really worth a visit. The the in, initial um, dam is there that von Carvel actually set up. Some of the original canals to feed water into the town are still to be seen there. Okay. And what's quite interesting is in that botanical garden is there's a little statue for a chap called William John Birchill. Now we we've mentioned him before. Yes. And he was one of the. Those British naturalist explorer type characters. And that era, you know, on Britain Britain ruled the seas at that stage. Yes. And, you know, you you're talking about Thomas Cook and you're talking about all these guys that are exploring the world and mapping the world and a lot of the British in the eighteen hundreds were ships were sent out to go and map coastlines and find harbors and yeah. anchorages and stuff. This is pre the actual, you know, huge um drive of of colonialism yes and on these ships often someone would get put on there either the surgeon or they would put a a naturalist on board one of these boats to act as companion to the captain because the captain a naturalist yeah the captain has to keep discipline so he cannot make friends with anybody and he can't really have yeah conversation so they would put someone on board to act as the captain's companion and often this could be a naturalist type Charles Darwin, for example, was exactly that on, on, on the Beagle. Okay. And this guy, 
was John Birchall. I mean, and just to give you an idea, I mean, he spent four years in South Africa. And his South African journey, sort of 1811 to 1815. Okay. And he collected 50,000 specimens. Whoa. 50,000 specimens were sent back by this guy on his journeys. He covered seven or 8,000 kilometers in and around South Africa. And plants, insects, skins, birds, all of that sent back to the UK, to the Natural History Museum and National Geographic Society, as these guys are now trying to build this knowledge and trying to get this, yeah. the, 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 you know, this, this world knowledge and this explosion of science in those days yes. during the 1800s. I mean, 50,000 specimens. He was a busybody. That is a hell of a, hell of a <laughs> heck of a job that he did there. And um, his name is commemorated in Birchall Zebra. The zebra you see all over the Kruger National Park is a Birchall Zebra. Okay. <laughs> and... You know, there's a couple of birds and things named after him as well. And his name is in all sorts of Latin names and in, on insects and things. Yeah. But the only statue known of Birchall is actually in the George Botanical Gardens. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been to a couple of the Botanical Gardens because um, my mother used to work at two of them. So, yeah, I've been privileged to, uh, to be uh, to at least four of them. No, they they beautiful. You just take your time, and mm-hmm. it's the one place that I've actually seen a George or a Nisner dwarf chameleon. Yeah, he was he was the little was bay, the tiny little 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 guy was was perching on top of one of the proteas in the garden there. Okay, uh, really really worth worth visiting. There's a little tea room where you can sit down, and it's a really really pleasant pleasant visit. You got the George Museum, um, an interesting one there is that it's got one of the original VOC beacons. And what the Dutch East India Company would do is whenever they proclaimed or they found or found a spot or they'd expanded their exploration somewhere, they would put down a stone marker oh, yes. to show that they'd sort of been there. And the furthest one that I know of, and I might be incorrect, but the furthest one from Cape Town that I know of is actually sitting at the Barkensrafir in Port Elizabeth. That's where the name okay. comes from, Barkensrafir. Yes. They, they, made, okay. they made it there. They never settled it that far. But they put the beacon up there showing yeah, that, that they've yeah. been there. Okay. And the George Museum, 99% of it is all about timber and the, the lumber industry in and around George. It's got a beautiful Dutch Reformed church. Those Dutch Reformed churches. And I've, and I always, I've got a little mini theory that I always think, you know, the, with, with these churches in these, in these towns, is that the, the smaller the town, the bigger the church. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there's some absolute treasures when you go into the old, you know, the old Transvaal areas in the Free yeah. State, and you look at the, the churches built by Gerard Murdijk and these architects. I mean, you, it's breathless. You stand there in the proportions, that, and it just works. Those buildings are just absolutely incredible. Yeah, like the one in Vusser. That thing is huge. Yeah, and that thing is how old? Um, yeah, no, they they're absolutely beautiful. <clears throat> and the other <clears throat> interesting one spot in George is the Otuniko Transport Museum. Ah. It's the old South African railways, South African airways. So you've got trains, coaches, locomotives, aeroplanes. Okay. And we've even got um, a 1952 Jan van Riebeek festival coach. Oh. Again, <laughs> you know, we got the Great Trek one. You've got, you got that Great Trek, 1838-1938 Great Trek thing. Yes. You've also got a an, an 1952 Jan van Riebeek festival because he'd landed in 1652. Okay. So, <laughs> so you've got that, that sitting in there as well. But George, 
is sort of a, a bit of a junction route. And you can get up, if you turn north, the route goes up over the Otaniqua Pass. And that is just a spectacular drive all on its own. And you can also branch off there through the Montague Pass. Now those are, and a lot of people staying in George actually do that drive. They go up the one pass, they go over Montague, yes. turn around and come back over the Otaniqua yeah, and yeah. it is just an, an, a mind-blowingly beautiful drive through those mountains, through the Feinbos, and I mean you're climbing up to fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred and eighty something meters almost. Yes, in, into yeah. those hills. Unfortunately, those mountains do act as a bit of a rain catcher because all the moist air from the ocean comes along, and, and obviously as it rises, condenses up against those mountains. As soon as you go over yeah. the mountains, you're in the little Karoo. Oh so yes, <laughs> all the water seems to fall on the George side, and I always. <laughs> Remember the number plate of George as a C A W. Now the Cape, yeah. the Capes have got a weird way of doing their number plates. Yeah. The rest of us have gone all computerized, and we've got the secret code on our cars with two letters, two numbers, and another two letters and stuff. <laughs> yeah. The Cape, the Cape has decided not to do this, so they still number their cars according to their cities. Like C A is Cape Town, C B is P E. Yeah. And somehow then the second most important city becomes a C A W. So George yes. has got C A W. Okay. And there's no logical explanation for it except that it says cold and wet. CAW does not translate to George. Yeah, no, it does not. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get there. So you've got, you, it's got to be cold and wet. <laughs> yeah, it must be. <laughs> and uh, I think the one for Worcester is uh, CW, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, that, 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 that could well be. But I've never managed to work out how the, how the Cape Province did there. I think that just stands for continuous wins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like a baby. But, I mean, those mountains and those mountain passes, if you want to drive those, is just an absolutely spectacular day. But if you continue on the N2 now, then the, your, next, your next spot that you're getting into is Wilderness. Oh, yes, yeah. And Wilderness itself is a bit of an untidy little town. There's not much there. It's mostly resorts and retirement villages and stuff. There's like one or two little shops in a little central area with a post office and a petrol station and not much else. Yeah. But the drive into Wilderness is beautiful because you're coming in over the Caymans River and you've got the Caymans River Bridge. You've got the very nice little lookout. As you get up to the top area there, you can stop and you get a lookout over the Caymans River Bridge and the tunnel. And um, it used to be used as a steam train. I, I do still remember seeing the steam train coming through there every once in a while. You, you, could, you could actually t- time it, the little train called the Otaniqua Choo Choo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Would, you, would use that route. But that's been stopped. There's been rock falls and stuff, and the railway line's apparently a bit unstable. There's, there's been endless plans of reopening it. Yeah. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened. But it's a beautiful viewpoint you stand there at the Caymans River lookout now the Cayman Cayman is a Dutch word for crocodile okay so the Dutch the Dutch Cayman it's the same in, in Cape Town you get a lot of the Dutch words coming through Tiger Valley yeah Tiger, tiger Valley tiger they saw valley, a leopard yeah. they thought it was a tiger okay <laughs> <laughs> okay Cayman Cayman is a is the Dutch word for a crocodile a Cayman in English is actually the South American version of a crocodile Okay. So where the word Cayman comes from, it could be crocodile. They could also have seen, for example, uh, a big Leguan. Yeah. And thought that could have been a, a crocodile. Yeah. 
as, as a smaller version because the Cayman, the, the Salmican Cayman is smaller than the Crocodile, so, but it's called the Cayman's River. But it's a beautiful lookout. You get this beautiful lookout over the wilderness, over the beach of wilderness. And often if you just pause there for a little while, you'll see dolphins, dolphins in the surf. And it is just a spectacular lookout. And you start, you start getting the real feeling there that you, that you sort of really heading into, into good, good nature areas. Oh, you're talking about that uh, steam train then, George. I, I was on that train when I was, I think I was uh, 13, 14. I was on that train. No, it's, it's a great. It's always, it's always lucky to be on the little steam trains. The steam yeah. trains again has got has got something special. I'm not sure what, why, why, and what, but the, the steam train just somehow is is always something special. Yeah. So when you get into wilderness, you know there's there's there's, a, there's 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 the lookouts. If you if you take a bit of a drive down and you go through wilderness and turn like a big U turn, you actually get up to a much higher spot called the map of Africa, and. The river has actually carved out in a valley that looks like the continent of Africa. Oh yes, okay, I've I've heard of that one. <clears throat> um, and just up up on the left hand side, as you're travelling that that into wilderness, and you're coming now down into what's called the lakes area, you've got a little spot up there called Hookville. <laughs> and Hookville. Uh, <laughs> why are you giggling? <laughs> It's just funny. <laughs> Hookville. <laughs> and that's where P.W. Puerta and his wife were buried. Oh, okay. P.W. Puerta had a house in wilderness for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. And he's, he's buried in a little spot called Hookville. Okay. And it's actually quite interesting because P.W. Puerta was actually prime minister and state president. Oh, yes. And that's a very, okay, very strange yeah. combo. We used to have a state president who was like the figurehead, like Nico Diedrichs. And you had the prime minister who was the sort of executive branch. Yeah. And then eventually it got merged under P.W. Buerta. So he actually held the post of prime minister and state and executive state president. Okay. That's interesting. So that, that's a funny little accolade to, um, to the guy that named the Groot Crocodile. <laughs> we remember the Groot Crocodile yeah. <laughs> with yeah. his finger and his speech. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but then, then why did they call him that? I don't know. I think he, used, he used to shout and bite something or his bite was worse than his talk or something. I don't know. But oh. I mean, that, that was just his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get into into the lake area. And you've got all sorts of little lakes. I mean, you've got um, the Langflay, you've got Rondeflay, you've got Swartflay. And those, those lakes apparently all originated around 20,000 20, years ago during the late uh, Pleistocene era. Okay. And that is at the end of the last era of ice ages in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. So the Northern okay. Hemisphere, Ice Age, a lot of water is being held up in glaciers and stuff. So the sea level was considerably lower than where it is right now. In fact, they're yeah. talking about 130 meters lower than where it is right now. Wow, so you can that's imagine a there's a long expanse of stuff exposed. Because right now when you drive there, the sea is right here and your lake is just on the other side of some sand dunes. Yeah. But 20,000 years ago... The sea is, is a long way away, and those lakes were all res resulting from rivers and from erosion 
etc., etc. Yes. So the ice age ends, sea level goes up. In fact, sea level goes up higher than it is right now, and yeah. 4,000 years ago it drops again. Okay. So the sea level rising up and down and stuff is, is, is a... Is a um, recurring theme. It's a recurring theme. Yeah. Maybe two, three thousand years or something. There's, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of changes, and those lakes then are a resulting leftover of water left behind in those areas and rivers and erosion. Right now, it's all national park. There's some beautiful pl- spots to stay in there. South African national parks has got a nice camp in the area. There's all sorts of guest houses, hotels, a lot of activities, boating and fishing, okay. and it's a really, really lovely area to go and relax a lot of the lakes somehow don't even have an exit to the sea but they kept filled with water filtering underneath through this through the sand dunes yeah yeah so it's, it's quite a unique quite a quite a unique and unique unique area yes <coughs> yeah then, then you 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 carry on past those lake areas and your next spot now that you actually come into is Neisner now Neisner, again, is one of these little hidden gems because yes. if you scream through it on the N2, it's a quick little town and, you, and you're and gone on out the other side. But the whole trick of this garden route area is to actually get off the N2 because the N2 actually does us a great disservice. Yes. Well, once, once you're through Neisner now and you're heading down towards Plettenberg Bay, it's a beautiful road. It's a double-lane highway. You can go screaming down there at 120 kilometers an hour. Yeah. And you actually miss the essence of the garden route. Yes. Because a couple of these little spots that we've been talking about, for example, now, you don't see when you're on the highway. And... You've got to spend some time, and we always talk about what I call RSAP's disease. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> as soon as possible disease. Yeah. That you've actually got to put that on hold. And Neisner is, again, now, it's, an, it's almost an impossible name to say. It's the, the Kukhuhuwab tribe. Oh, my word, yeah. Yeah. I see what and you I mean. And I think there's one or two clicks in there that I can't pronounce. <laughs> And it actually means fern leaves or literally tree hair. Okay. And that is a reference to these beautiful forests all the way now around Neisner where you get that moss, that what's that called? In English, we call it yes. old man's beard. Yes. That hangs it, off yeah. these trees. Yeah. That's, and that's the word where, that's where the word or the name Neisner, Neisner comes from. It's a, it's a, it's a reasonably sized town. You're, sort of, you're looking at about 80,000 odd residents there. And it's only 33 kilometers from Plett. So, you know, it's not very isolated, but it's a big town. Everything you want yes. is, is, sitting, is sitting right there. And it's one of the places in South Africa that we find evidence of early hominids. They've oh, got yeah. footprints in one of the caves down there that date back to about 90,000 years ago. Wow. And along with other fossil evidence and caves and a group of people loosely called what we call the strandloopers. Yes. Um, were people that, that, that made a living by gathering seafood and shells and stuff along the, along the beaches. Yes. That Nice has been inhabited for close on 300,000 years already. Wow. 
Okay. <laughs> so from time. an archaeology point of view, it's super interesting. <clears throat> History point of view, it's super interesting. Just down the road, you've got all that ge- interesting geology and stuff. And you're sitting in one of the most prettiest little towns in, in South Africa. So the, the in, indigenous people were a mix, a mix of Kuku, San, Otaniqua, and Ku. You know, so okay. you've got this mixture of, of loosely allied type type of people yes. in that area, been around for hundreds of thousands of years. You've got um, the Shalmidans along the coast. You've got the footprints and stuff. So, <clears throat> for from a from a paleontology point of view and from an ethnological point of view, there's so much to go and explore yeah. in in Meisner itself. But the European settlement of Neisner sort of started 1760, somewhere around there. And it's a beautiful harbor. Once you get through the, the Neisner heads, the Neisner heads are super dangerous. It's, it's yes. high tides, rushing water, big waves. A lot of ships have not made it through there. Yeah, but once yeah. you're on the Neisner Lagoon, it's a fantastic harbor. And... The one spot that you've got to sit at when you're in Neisner is you've got to go down to a spot called the Neisner Waterfront. Okay. It's a beautiful development right on the lagoon. And it's a whole shopping area. There's a hotel. There's fantastic restaurants. A lot of the boat cruises on the, on the actual lagoon yeah. leave from there as well. And there's something very, very special when you're sitting... At, you're at the sea, but you're not quite at the sea. You're on this lagoon. Yeah. So yeah. you've got seagulls. You've got, you know, and sitting there eating oysters. Neisner is renowned for its oysters. You've got to eat oysters when you're in Neisner. Yeah. The sun is shining all over the veranda somewhere. You've got some oysters. You've got a little bit of Tabasco sauce. You've got an ice cold <laughs> local brew. There's all sorts of brewers in Neisner that make local beers and stuff. Oh yeah, it's just a it's a it's, it's like a little iconic thing to do yes. when you're in Nice, and it's a and it's a really cool shopping experience as well there on on the on the Nice and the waterfront. The first guys, like I said, came in about 1760, and there's an interesting character that came in by the name of George Rex. Okay. Now this guy arrives, and he's got money. He's got a. a <coughs> A coach with family crest emblazoned on it. He's oh. got money. He's got the whole lot. And because of his surname, George Rex, the rumors start flying around that he was actually a illegitimate son of King George. Oh, okay. It later proved to be false. Okay, so yeah. we can put that story to bed. It's a nice. It's a really nice story for the for the guidebooks and for the um, <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. the tourist bureaus. <coughs> but um, it, it later proves that he was just he 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 was the son of very very wealthy merchants in England. He came out to South Africa, and he's actually credited with establishing Neisner on a farm by the name of Malkhout Kral. Yeah. And on the eastern shores, other people come in. Little harbour starts up. The timber merchants are selling selling etc etc. <coughs> Another a little interesting aside is you got the the place called Thiessen Island. Thiessen Island was. Uh, named after a Norwegian family who were actually immigrating to New Zealand. And they stopped over in Neisner, and they decided not to go to New Zealand. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> they decided to stop over in Neisner and, and again that they, they started, and I mean they they, they again were, were were pretty wealthy people, and they actually are are credited with actually starting up the yeah the timber industry okay. out of Neisner. On Thiessen Island, there's also the National Sea Rescue Institute is based on on Thiessen Island. You can go visit them as well. There's a historical boat there, one of the one of the earlier rescue boats. This is is at the NSRI. So Thiessen Island, that's sort of like little millionaire's paradise area. But the really cool <laughs> part, the really cool thing on Thiessen Island is a place called the Motorcycle Room. There's a motorcycle okay. museum on Thiessen Island. Oh, nice. <laughs> Private collection. <laughs> and it's got classic vintage motocross, super bikes, all sorts of bikes there. The works. The <laughs> whole works. So that's one of those little hidden treasures that uh, you actually got to go and go and look out. Yeah. One of the other spots that, that we've got there is a little house called Millwood. Now, in the late 1800s, there was a mini gold rush in Neisner as well. Okay. Up in the forest, somebody finds a little gold nugget. News of this comes out. Thousands of people stream into Neisner. And a tiny little town gets set up there. And... Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. Only like four or five years or something. Yeah. And uh, then everything came everything to comes a to a halt. <laughs> and the guys that had enough money actually picked their houses up and moved their houses into Neisner. So, oh, okay. so the, Millwood, the Millwood House Museum is actually one of those houses that actually brought down the mountain and reparked. In town. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shall we quickly go listen to a little bit of music? Um, yeah, I think I need some water, definitely. Cool. Uh, okay, let's uh, kick off with this one. Okay, we are back. Uh, we've got our water supply. You're listening to Radio Eco Health, and it is the road trip show with Diedrich and myself. Okay, we left off with that um, house that you mentioned, which I yeah. can't remember now. <laughs> Millwood, Millwood House. Millwood. There we go. Now, there's 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 a one there's one very interesting little spot in Neisner as well, and it's. It's an indicator, again, of the panic and stuff surrounding the Anglo-Boer War. There's a little spot called the Old Fort. Now, the Old Fort is also called Thompson's Folly. Now, last, last episode, we chatted about that one battle of the Boer War down in a place called Still Bay. And it shows the reach of these commandos that came out of the Transvaal and out of the Free State and how far they trekked down into the Cape Colony. Now, the Cape Colony at this stage is British. These commandos are raiding almost at will. The British Army's got no real answer to these guys. So, of course, the population is panicking. And the commandos had reached already down to Still Bay. And in June of 1901, the town of Willowmore was actually attacked by the Boers as well. Now, the Will Willowmore is just other side of Uniondale. If you go over the mountains, Neisner... You, okay, Nisner's a bit difficult. You, there's no direct road from Nisner. You've either got yeah. to duck out through George or you've got to go to Plett and up, and up that way. Yes. 
that um, the first town you hit is Uniondale, just other side of Uniondale is Willowmore. So the Boers now have made their presence felt. And yes, it's this little town in Nisner going, oh my God, oh my God, we've got to protect ourselves. <laughs> so they form a town guard. Okay. The town guard is now strengthened by a whole group of mountain volunteers. But if they had thought about it, there's no way the Boers could ever get into Nisner. Willowmore is on the back end of endless flat open plains where commanders can maneuver. You know, yes. still Bay, same thing. There's not that many. It's, it's open countryside. Neisner yeah. is in the middle of mountains and lakes and rivers and stuff. And there's no ways a commander could actually ever get into Neisner but they'd be annihilated on the mountain passes. Yeah. But anyway, so panic, panic sets in. And um, you've got a... A crowd that comes in, the Royal Horse Guards Regiment comes in under a Major William Ansarother Thompson. Okay, that's so a real mouthful. good <laughs> colonial English army name. I mean, you, you, yeah. couldn't, you couldn't write a book better than that. So he's a, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a re- regiment that arrived in March, June, Willowmore is attacked. So Thompson orders his regiment to build a fort on one of the hills outside, just on the borders of Neisner. And. Uh, I love the name of it. It's called Verdomskop. <laughs> Verdomskop. <laughs> Verdomskop. Now, Verdomp or Verdomme is a Dutch word for damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the damn it hill. The damn it copy. <laughs> the damn it copy. <laughs> <laughs> so on top of damn it copy now, Ansrada now has to build <laughs> this, this fort. <laughs> I can hear these guys talking on it. <laughs> So, <laughs> no, so he then builds his fort and there's always arguments about it some guys are saying the thing's facing the wrong way other guys are moaning that it doesn't not necessary and and and, and never a shot is fired out of out of this fort oh yeah okay. and that's why it's actually called thompson's folly because he because <laughs> he builds his fort uh, but anyway but uh, at, at, at this stage, it's still closed to public, but there are talks about resurrecting it and rebuilding it and making it into a, <laughs> into a little spot that you can visit. Yeah. But I just love the name of Fredomskop. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, that is funny. But, yeah, I mean, it had, it had, it had proper battlements and little what they call crenellated uh, ramparts. You know, then that, that's like the like the old medieval castles, little square bits on top of the walls. You know, oh, little square okay, up down, yes. up down, up down. So the guys could lie there with their rifles and stuff. <clears throat> but yeah, but uh, Neisner was never attacked by um, by, by the boys. Yeah. They, they never quite got that far. The other spot that you got to go sit at when you're in Neisner is you can actually get right down to the Neisner heads. Oh yeah, and that okay. is definitely worthwhile. You can—it's a, it's a bit of a drive, but there's a couple of little spots right on the heads there, and that is a spectacular setting as well. Just to sit down, have a drink, or have have some have some oysters there, right at the heads. Yeah, and one of the more famous shipwrecks in South Africa is right there as well. They're called the Paquita. It was a German barge from the early 1900s night was wrecked in 1903 at the okay. at the heads but it's a bit of a strange story because you got an entire barge with only four crew members oh only four only four crew members and they made it to shore safely yeah but and it's become quite a popular diving site in Neisner I've been too scared to dive there because of the currents so the currents rip through the Neisner heads and I'm, I'm an yeah. experienced diver 
I've never never got the courage up to dive because you've, you've got a very small window in between tides apparently when you can actually dive on that wreck otherwise the tides take you yeah <laughs> okay yeah. but it would be cool because i mean the nice you got the nice seahorse maybe you can see one of the nice seahorses there there's a the little nice seahorses only found in that area okay but an interesting one is eventually they decided to actually try and blow up and sink the wreck and they actually found that there were anchors holding the holding this thing onto the rocks so oh. it did not look like an accident. So there were allegations that the wreck of the Paquita was actually an insurance um, <laughs> fraud. <laughs> <laughs> it was done on purpose. Ah, there's a sneaky <laughs> suspicion it, it could have been done on purpose. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, guys, that's, that's, that's sort of Neisner. Neisner, you can happily spend two, three, four days in Neisner without any issue whatsoever. And just outside of Nice, I chatted about that. Um, those Italians. It's a little bit of a drive, but you can actually go up to a little place called the San Ambrosio Chapel Museum. Okay. And it was a Catholic church built in 1891, and was actually built for the silk spinners. Those oh, Italians that came out yes, for yes. the so-called silk industry. They were all Italians. They immigrated to the Cape Colony, and. Uh, of course, it they just want, didn't work. Yeah, they want their own church, I yeah. suppose. So they've got their own church up <laughs> in the hills. They arrived. I mean, those, guys, those poor guys came in, came in in 18, 1881. And uh, they were given land. They were given little plots of land. They were given farms. All sorts of things were tried. But yeah. it, just, it just didn't happen. And then a, a lot of them, some of them just became woodcutters. Other ones became workers on the roads and the mountain passes and stuff that were yes. built there. But it's just an interesting little in, inset that you've got to quite a big Italian influence sitting in Neisner. You've got Norwegian, Italian, yeah. you know, so it's a whole different mix of um, architecture, of, 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 of nationalities mm. yeah. that are there. Mm. Your, next, your next major town on the, on the road is Plettenberg Bay. If you stick uh. on the N2, you shoot straight past it. There's nothing that um, you, you don't go into Plett, but if you turn off into Plett, Plettenberg Bay is probably the one of the richest square miles of South African real estate that exists. I think it's just after Landadno and Santon comes Plettenberg Bay. Okay. <laughs> as, a, as a holiday resort or a holiday town, it's a, there's, there's insane real estate there. Yeah, I still want to go there. Neisner, Neisner and Plett are both beautiful cities. And don't get me wrong, they are really beautiful. Neisner, the beach or the beaches in Plett. Some of the best whale watching I've ever had in South Africa is off the beach in Plettenberg Bay. Yeah. In season, the right whales and are, are right up on the coast. You do a beach launch, and I mean, that's exciting stuff. I mean, the boat, the boat is literally, um, you're on a trailer, the tractor reverses its speed and then stops, so the boat skids off the, off the trailer into the surf. Oh, yeah. The skipper gets this thing going, and then it's through the waves. <clears throat> And once you've done it once or twice, it becomes fun. But the first couple of times are quite terrifying. <laughs> and I used to take my tour groups on these boats. And yes. the people were petrified. <laughs> but literally, and, the, and look, the whale watching rules are quite interesting because you're not allowed to approach a whale within a certain distance. Yeah. You know, so the operators do that. But sometimes when you are just floating... And your engines are off and you're just bobbing on the... And you're watching these whales. The whales actually come out to have a look at you. Yeah. And literally, <laughs> you're in the boat and just on the water right next to you is the 60-ton whale. 
Yeah. It is mind-blowingly it's, it's spectacular stuff that you can yeah. do there. You know, and then, of course, the, 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 when, when you come back and you, the, the skipper also times it and he comes in sort of half-surfing on one of these waves and he guns the motors. And then just before he hits a certain depth of water, he, he stops the motors, he, he brings, the, brings the motors up and you yeah. go screaming up onto the sand. <laughs> so and it's really cool it's as, a, as, a, as a little expedition and outing is beautiful yeah. and Plettenberg Bay you've, you've got you've got the, the Roberg on the side there you've got seal colonies you've got seabirds and you've got yeah. the whales and dolphins I mean it's it's, it's absolutely spectacular but both Neisner and Plett and I've had the misfortune of being in both those places during during heavy tourist Christmas season it literally takes you two hours to get through Neisner <coughs> Wow, it's okay. just traffic. It's it's wall to wall traffic jam. It, it looks like it looks it looks like Joburg on a rush hour. It's terrible. Yeah, and <laughs> the same as Plett. Plett Plettenberg Bay Christmas time as well is terrible with the traffic. Yeah, beautiful places, spectacular beaches. You know, really really cool. But they've got to make uh, Neisner Neisner needs a bypass highway. I think yes. they've approved the bypass. I think it might even be in construction as we speak. Then that will solve Neisner's problem because then the, the N2 will go around Neisner instead of straight through the middle of Neisner. Yeah. And that, yeah. that will definitely solve that a problem. couple of the issues. But in Plittenberg, Plittenberg Bay is a holiday town. There's very little of historical interest there, except <coughs> there is actually a little marker there called the Van, Blitten, the Van Plittenberg Stone, okay. which was again. Van Plettenberg was one of the governors of the VOC, and he yeah. made it out as far as Plettenberg Bay and put down one of those VOC markers in place. Yes. And that one is still there to see. Okay. So, yeah, out of, out of choice for me, Plettenberg Bay. If I could, if I could have Plettenberg Bay without the ten thousand people, it would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Neisner the same. I would do exactly the same as well. Yeah, but then of course, when you're heading out of Plitz, you're now getting into that area called Titsikama. Oh yes, and the most spectacular forests and wooded areas. There's a lot of forestry as well, which is a. Which I'm never I'm never too keen on 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 the forestry stuff. Miles and miles and miles of pine plantations, and miles and miles and miles of eucalyptus. Yeah. Essential to our economy. It's a major export. Wood chips and timber go all over the world from South Africa. It's a major employer. Yes. But as a, you know, from a conservation point of view, those trees suck trillions of liters of water out the ground. And yeah. when you're hiking, you know, you I've done a lot of the hikes down in that area as well. And you hike through indigenous forests. You got the insects and the birds, and you're hearing noises and what have you. As soon as you yeah. get into the forestry plantations, it's dead quiet. Yeah. There's just nothing, nothing lives in there. Yeah. But pros, pros and cons. But <laughs> then, of course, you hit the Blokrans, the Blokrans Bridge over Nature's Valley. And it's a spectacular bridge. I mean, it's 216 meters above the Blokrans River. It spans 272 meters. Yo. So That's it's a major, a major construction. And the interesting yeah. part is that it was built from both sides of the of the ravine. Oh. And they met in the middle. 
Okay, that could have been a tricky one. That was one. spectacular engineering. South Africa's got a couple of these. I mean, it's like that tunnel, the Huguenot Tunnel that we spoke about. Yes. Where you've got eight and a half kilometers of tunnel and they miss each other. <coughs> they, they hit each other with, I think, a centimeter out after yeah. tunneling through four kilometers of rock. Yeah. I mean, that's spectacular stuff. You know, yes. that, that's engineering on steroids. Yeah. This bridge is one of those as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And the interesting part of this thing is that it's the highest bungee jump in the world. Oh, it's okay. the highest commercial bungee jump in the world. <laughs> how, how high is the bridge? 216 meters above the river. Yes. So, wow. uh, yeah, I've done that. I've done that bungee. <laughs> Did you? I, 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 was oh. I was challenged on one of my camping tours. <clears throat> and um, as, as a joke, we put my Land Rover up as the bet. Oh. So, <laughs> so I kind of had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's a it's a it's, a, it's a, actually a very very interesting exercise, yeah. Because you go to the office, and the first thing is you sign the papers and stuff, and you get a little indemnity form, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. And then they weigh you. They put your they write your weight on on your on your hand, okay. and then you walk out, and you walk out, and then underneath <clears throat> the the road level. Is like a walkway. And that was actually more terrifying oh, than the jump. Okay. Because you're now walking on what looks like a bri grid. So oh, you can yes, actually yes. see down into the river underneath your feet. <laughs> yeah. And this thing shakes and it rattles. And you're in like this bri grid cage that's hanging underneath the roadbed. Yeah. And eventually you get onto the, onto the main arch. And I mean, it's a huge concrete arch. I mean, it's, it's massive. This bridge is huge. Yeah. It's a four-lane bridge. I mean, it's an absolutely massive bridge. Sure. And then you're standing on the top of the arch... And that's where the bungee operator um, yeah. has got all his goodies there. And I think, I think I must have gone through five or six safety checks. It's very subtle. Okay. The guys look at you. How's it, sir? Welcome. And they've pumped, they, you know, they're pumping the music to get you really hyped up. And everyone's like jiving. And they, you know, they're yeah. really trying to get you hyped. Yeah. But surreptitiously, they check your weight. And I think your weight gets checked like three or four times. Yeah. And okay. they do that because... That depends and determines which bungee you, you use. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, so it's the size of the elastic that they're going to throw you off the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and it's, it's an interesting, again, you know, you don't have to, they, they do not push you. If you call it quits, you call it quits. You don't have to yeah. jump. You've just wasted your money. Yeah. <laughs> but you sit there, and then they start on rope number one, which is weight category, this to this, and then those people will, will do their jump, and eventually it comes to my turn. Yes. And then you sit down, and they bring, they bring this, the, 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 the bungee, and they tie it onto your feet. And uh, it's done with a kind of slip knot. And you look at this, and you go, ah, hang on. Guys, yeah, no, yeah, lacquer, lacquer, let's go, let's go, let's go. Then you like, you hop to the edge of the bridge. Yeah. Because your feet are now tied together. So, yeah. so your arms are across the shoulders of two guys to take you right to the edge. Yeah. And the technique, now you're standing on top of this bridge. You've got 200, 200 meters of open space in front of you. If you look up to the right, you can see like a little spectator gallery and a couple of the guys I had on the coach tour with yeah. me were sitting there watching me, obviously, now, because this has now become a thing that the tour guide is beating <laughs> off a bridge. <laughs> none, of the, none of the clients wanted to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and they give you the sort of five, four, three, two, one, go. And the technique is actually an interesting one because you you bend your knees, so you're sort of going down into a crouch. Yeah. Lean forward, and as soon as you feel yourself falling, you yeah. kick. Okay. To give you that speed. Yeah. 
And it was it was spectacular. It was absolutely <laughs> spectacular. Your arms, you put your arms out, and you literally you're flying for five, six, seven, or ten seconds, whatever it is. Yeah. And then slowly the bungee catches catches the tension. You don't jerk. Yeah. There's no like yanking and stuff because it's inelastic. Yeah. So as it not, and, and so you feel it. You feel it. You 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 feel your direction change a little bit, and then it just stretches out. And then you slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. And then you then you get pulled back up again. Yeah. And then you do this other like backward free fall because now you're being shot into the sky again. <laughs> that must be awesome. <laughs> it was it was it was spectacular. And then eventually you're hanging there. Now, for me, that was the scariest part. Because now you're hanging on this bungee. Yeah. And they send a guy down on a, on a winch. Oh, yeah. So, some, so, so, so a character comes, comes in a winch with a, you know, he's got his complete harness on. I mean, you've got a harness on and it's a double harness and it's got carabiners yeah. and clicky things all over the place. And it goes between <laughs> your legs and, you know, you've got a yeah. full-on safety kit on. Yes. And, I mean, the bungee's attached to your feet and it's attached to the harness. It's, uh, you know... Logically thinking, if the footstraps break, you're still going to hang from the harness. Yeah, yeah. But while I was hanging there, it, it felt like your foot ropes were undoing. It felt like they were coming loose. Okay. So I was hanging there, sort of flexing my toes and flexing my feet backwards to make sure the stupid <laughs> <laughs> loops wouldn't come off my leg. <laughs> and eventually, this character comes down in the winch. How's it, sir? No, you're lacking up. I'm good. No, no, no. Okay, sir, no problem. And he, and he takes something off his harness and he clicks onto, onto your chest harness. And then yeah. as you go, he, he, you now get pulled upright. And then you get pulled back up onto, yeah. onto the bridge. But absolutely <laughs> spectacular. I can recommend it. You've got to do a bungee once in your life. Whether you do it twice or not, I don't know. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely spectacular experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's the highest commercial bungee in the world. Wow! So okay. n- not New Zealand. I mean, the New Zealanders invented this thing. They must have been really bored to yeah. to, to think of jumping off a bridge tied to an elastic band. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. not even New Zealand has got got yeah. as high a bungee as we've got here in South Africa. Yeah. So that's one of the little weird records that we that we have. Awesome. And uh, we still got a couple of minutes, but. A little bit further on now, you've got some <clears throat> beautiful spots along now heading heading down, down down towards Port Elizabeth. You've got a lovely walk into what they call the Big Tree. It's a gigantic um, Ochiliqua yellow wood. And okay. it's not just to go and see this tree. I mean, that, that, that tree is, is massive. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's beyond words. But just the walk there, and you're walking through the forest. And you've yeah. got the forest ferns, and you've got the old man's beard hanging, and you've got the birds, the little rivers, and the streams. It's yeah. just a lovely walk. It's just a very nice little excursion for half an hour or so. And yeah. it gives you the feeling of what you got there. And then, of course, you've got the Titsikama National Park just down the road there as well. And that has got to be some of the most spectacular seascapes and scenery that we've got. Yeah. You've got a little accommodation units there. You've got all sorts of hikes and walks and things. But the scenery is just amazing. Lovely walk down over the Storms River, the little suspension bridge that you can that you can walk on. But that was always used by us as a as a lunch stop. Lovely little restaurant there, and you got the waves that come crashing against these rocks, and you got this massive spray everywhere. Yeah. And it's just absolutely you got the mountains with the forests, and you got the birds, the nice nalluris and things flying around. The oyster catches and seagulls everywhere. Yeah. Just absolutely spectacular to sit there for a little for a little bit and just watch and watch the ocean. And uh, that that to me is sort of the garden route when you find those little spots. And 
if you're going to do the garden route, you can visit all of these places, but get off the N2. Yeah. Find the R, the old R102. Some of the places are unfortunately broken and blocked. Well, they were last time I was there, and you couldn't do those mountain passes. But what the N2 has done <coughs> is like that, um, the bungee bridge. Oh, they yeah. spanned that ravine. So now it takes you literally two minutes to drive over that ravine. Okay. But if you go and look for it, the old road is still there. Oh, okay. And that old road winds down the side of the ravine, across the bottom, and then comes back up the other side. Oh, okay. So the N2 has shortened your traveling distance. Yeah. But what it's done, it's taken away that essence and that absolute spectacular drive of those forests, mountain passes, ravines, tiny little bridges and rivers. And little picnic sites where you can All sit the under these spaces, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, little picnic sites on the side of the road where you're sitting under a tree that's 2,000 years old. Yeah. In this little ravine with the most spectacular scenery. And that is the garden route. The N2 can get you there faster, but it's a yeah. symptom of Arsap's disease. Arsap's disease, <laughs> yes. And the old, <laughs> the old R102 is the way to go. Yes. Awesome, awesome. Oh, now you just wanted me to go bungee jumping and go and do the garden route. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get you there. Let's oh, get you yeah. there. I'm, I, I can't wait to throw you off a bridge. <laughs> you don't pay for the jump, you pay for the stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> as long as it's not a sudden stop. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. I hope you guys enjoyed this show. You're listening to Radio Eco Health, and this was the Road Trip Show. Thanks, Diedrich. Always a pleasure to have you here. Always good, man. And I'm hoping to see all our overseas visitors coming into South Africa. The travel ban's over. Come join us. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> because we've hit 37 countries now. Podcasts have hit 37 countries. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go play out with some music. Hope you guys enjoyed. Mm, sweet night.